HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. Uh, today we're doing a remote episode from my apartment in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, which, as you know, as a listener, I love my new apartment. I've been here since November, and it is probably the best apartment I've ever lived in, New York or otherwise. However, I hate my neighborhood. I don't want to bash on Greenpoint, but I lived in the East Village for the last 15 of my 18 years in New York City, and I feel like I've moved from a river of flowing activity to just a drip and it is painful for me. However, I've set up a new studio in, in my apartment and I've invited over some friends to talk. Um, Amanda Elder uh, and her husband, Tony. Say your last name again. McCabe. McCabe. I, 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 I even couldn't do it again. We just talked off air. I've mispronounced your last name for as long as I've known you. That's all right. McCabe. It sounds more Irish than Russian. I think that's what I did. I, I kind of Russianized it. Mm. I always said Mikiev. Eh, whatever. It works. I'm also slightly, um, well, I'm frankly a little bit stupid. Uh, but you're not the focus of today's show. It's your <laughs> lovely wife, Amanda. That's correct. Amanda, um, we've been friends for quite some time uh, and uh, sort of colleagues and in the same neighborhood. You worked over at Pouring Ribbons for quite a, quite a bit of time. Um, talk to me about your career in the bar and how you got there. Oh, what a what a fun question. Southern, thank you for asking. <laughs> um, yeah, we were we worked in the same neighborhood, like you said, for a long time in the East Village, which I feel like is kind of its own little fraternity um, of, of industry workers. I think like once you work in that neighborhood, everyone's kind of connected because they it is such a specific place and has such a specific vibe. Even though I don't work there now, I like I, I still feel like I'm super connected to that neighborhood in some pretty great ways. Greatest um, neighborhood in the world. It's it's pretty damn good. Um, I worked at Pouring Ribbons for a very long time on Avenue B. I was part of the opening staff there and um, also did a lot of the graphic design, ancillary design for, uh, for that program as well. And then I also worked uh, at Mayawell, RIP, um, on 6th Street, just down, just down from you. Uh, yep, formerly part of the 6th Street Mafia. <sighs> yes, the 6th Street Mafia, which lives in our hearts, if not, uh, not as actively as it did before, mostly because all the ruffians that were at Mayawell aren't there enforcing uh, which Tony also worked at. So speaking Best of Best job ruffians, I ever had, working that door. Oh, man. 
I miss those days. Yeah, yeah, it was a great door. It was a great bar. Like we all miss it. You know, uh, um, in a very tiny homage to my well. Um, you remember the, the the crazy red and black chandelier that was upstairs? Oh yeah, the spider. The, yeah, the spider. The smallest piece of that uh, of that glass chandelier is now hanging in honeybees. Awesome. Yeah. I little, love when little you go remembrance. To, it's great when you go to different bars and you see like these tiny pieces, you know, that people took because they, it was tremendously important to them to have just like this tiny keepsake of their time there. Yeah. Um, and, and if you and if you hadn't spent time in the bar, you would never know that that was the thing that was from there because it's so small and like inconsequential, but means a lot to everyone that was there. So that's yeah, people nice. are always prying the tiles out of a Moria Margo <laughs> to keep one. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I should just start buying them by the bagful and selling them. Uh, I'm sure you could make a pretty decent little income from that alone. If I got a nickel for each one, I'd have five nickels. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, I moved to New York to go to Parsons for graphic design, uh, but started at Pouring Ribbons right about the time I graduated, thinking that I wasn't going to be in the bar industry for much longer, but student loans are a real thing, and I needed a job that paid better and the tiny spot I was working at in Queens. I was in a little pub, like a sports pub, on the last stop of the end train that no longer exists. Um, the pub doesn't exist, or the, the last <laughs> stop of the end train <laughs> well, doesn't I exist? Well, I question sometimes if the end train exists. Uh, one, but the one made the other survive, right? Uh, is not there anymore. Um, and that's what I had been doing for a long time, was pub bartending in English and Irish pubs back in Michigan, where I'm from, and in Savannah, Georgia, where I lived for a while before I moved to New York. Um, but Pouring Ribbons was really kind of the beginning of my love affair with cocktails, specifically. Um, that's where I learned how to make them um, and realized how creative the process is, you know, which was something that I just hadn't really correlated with bartending before. So um, did that while I was you know, trying to refine my abilities as a graphic designer and decided that I really wanted to stay in the hospitality industry in a way that had never occurred to me before. And I've just kind of been off to the races ever since then. So it's not an uncommon story. You were working your way through college, working at bars, um, pretty much just what we, you said, puppy. So that means you're just slinging beers and beers and shots, and a, a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of shots that I will never take credit for that I created. Uh, you know, combinations of liqueurs that no human should ever ingest at the same time. Sometimes I'll go <laughs> back to Ann Arbor, you know, and, and I'll, you know we'll go back to Connor O'Neill's, which is the amazing Irish pub. Uh, that I worked at for such a long time and is still there, and a lot of the same amazing people still work there. Um, and you know, they'll they'll give a shot, they'll, they'll pour me a shot, and they'll be like, "Remember when we came up with this?" And I'm like, "Never speak of this again to anyone." But then I obviously do the shot. Yeah, we used to call those equalizers. Mm. Um, <laughs> like we'd have the daily equalizer. I think it was weekly. The weekly equalizer. Uh, and people were like, why is it called equalizer? And we'd be like, oh, because it's going to set you right or whatever. And meanwhile, it was like, we're equalizing the inventory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These are just things we're mixing together to get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, working in pubs, getting you through college. Yeah. You finished college. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working at the end of the end train. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Making no money, uh, you know, shockingly. <laughs> I am shocked about that. I think I feel like when I worked at dive bars and dive bars in general, they make money. It wasn't bad, um, but it it wasn't great. You know, it was a really small spot. Um, A lot of regulars, which is something I do love about that sort of pub uh, culture in general, but um, just it just not a big enough spot to really um, in a very tiny bar, like maybe eight, eight, ten seats. Don't talk to me about tiny bars. (laughs) Which works for some people, as we know, um, and others not so much. And in this particular case, you know, it was really late nights, you know, like closing the bar at four, which means you're not going home until six. 
you know, and then like turning around and going to class at like eight in the morning. It was a, it was a rough time. It made it work, but the American dream. It was hard. You crushed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then you finished college, mm. and you got a job at Point Rivers. How on earth is, does one go from a dive bar at the end of the end train to Joaquin Simo's right. gym of a bar in the East Village of New York City? I, I ask myself that question too sometimes. Um, they did a thing that I think is really amazing that not every bar of that caliber does. They put an ad on Craigslist, um, and I was very much actively trolling Craigslist for job opportunities and came across, you know, their ad where they said, you know, that Alchemy Consulting, you know, like was responsible for the Violet Hour in Chicago as well. I had been to the Violet Hour once. Um, So you had some like cursory knowledge of who these dudes were? Enough of like a a really um, nice emotional connection to that experience and how much fun I thought it was to, to, to know like this could be really cool. These could be very interesting people to at least have this conversation with. you know, I don't think it was in my mind at that point that I really wanted to know about cocktails. I mean, I, I liked them, but I knew nothing. Um, but it seemed like a good stepping point, at least. So I answered the ad. And, you know, we had a phone interview first, and that turned into an in-person interview. F- who was the first interview? Was it Joaquin? Uh, no, it was Jason Cott, yeah, okay. uh, who's kind of like the financial mastermind behind uh, that, that group. Yep. Um, and I, I'm sure they were just trying to... Uh, I, I can only imagine how many people replied to that craigslist ad so i'm sure they were trying to narrow it down in some way or another just by having a pretty simple conversation with people so you know we probably didn't talk for more than five minutes right Um, and then i got an email that i could come to the to the next bit right um which was a little bit more like they broke it down into two groups um so you you first sat and uh talked with uh toby maloney and jason cott (laughs) And then I do think it was kind of like a tiered, like if you did okay with them, then you literally moved back two tables <laughs> and then sat down with uh, Troy Seidel, who was a partner at the time, and Joaquin. And th- that was the morning after I had actually done like a Saturday night It was like weird shift. speed dating. It, it, was, it was totally like speed dating. Um, I had gotten out of work so late the night before. Um, it was a bad shift, a slow, slow Saturday night. I made no money. I had had the entire bar cleaned up. Um, and I was about ready to walk out the door when the owner, which I should preface by saying I really love this guy. He was a great boss. But he came in, and he'd been out all night, too. So he came in wanting you know, a pint before bed, um, made a mess, and broke the pint glass in the ice bin that I had just dried out and cleaned and everything. Uh, so I was just deflated. I was yeah. tired. I was over it. And I think that mentality was probably the best thing that could have happened to me before going into that interview for Pouring Ribbons because I, I, didn't, I didn't have room to try and, and, and have a conversation that wasn't earnest. Uh, instead, I was just like, look, man, I'm working at this place. I like them, but I'm not learning anything. I'm not making enough money. I'm tired. <laughs> you know, I'm ready for something new. And, and Joaquin, especially, he just like nodded his head and he was like, totally get it. You know, like if you're not, if you're not at a point where other people that you're working with can teach you new things, then you're at the wrong place. And uh, we just took it from there. Sure, and also I th- I'm, I'm sure he could recognize that exhaustion, that, that notion of like, I'm, I'm done. I'm yeah. done with I'm done with this section, yeah. which is fine. You know, we've, I think we all. Well, I won't say all, but like most of us had to go through those steps. You know, we had to be the bar back, the the busser, the runner. The, like you step up, 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 right? So you you know the dive bar. Yeah. What do they say? Like if you you should be leaving a place when you still love it, and not when you you hate it. Yeah. Um. You know, if that's the case, then you've stayed too long. Right. So I was definitely at that point. Also, there's the, you know, the notion of, you know, if you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. Right. So you got to the place where 
your knowledge was as much as as could be gathered there it's which time was to certainly the last time that ever happened i think like <laughs> we haven't really looked back to that scenario since then which is good uh tony just chimed in over to the side of me and said uh toby maloney married you guys that's true <laughs> he did yeah. Is he an ordained? I mean, like he is. I believe he's registered with the state of New York. I mean, you, I love that you believe that. Is it true, <laughs> or is this uh, is this a sham no, marriage? No, no, we, we are not the only couple that he has done this, yeah. this uh, lovely service. That for. doesn't mean he's not a shyster. Toby <laughs> ran off a park ranger. It was like seven of us in Central Park on like the only seventy degree day in April, and then it rained for two days before and two days after. But we're down there, like just trying to sneak it in real quick and like get it over with, and. There's this uh, park ranger with a dog, and Toby walks over in his head-to-toe white suit with a dapper hat and, like, has a quiet word with the gentleman. I see him just nod his head and, then, like, walk off. He's like, we got 15 minutes. Like, let's go. we got to finish this up. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure what he said to him, but he seemed to have changed the gentleman's opinion about stopping the ceremony, so we got away with it. Slick talker. He offered him free drinks. He was. <laughs> he wore an all-white suit with a white hat uh, and... Uh, held the flavor bible uh, while we we said our vows instead of the bible yeah it was, <laughs> and yeah. sabered a mini bottle of chartreuse a tiny bottle of chartreuse and that's what we we drank <laughs> just sanctify the event was it just the three of you in the park uh, it was seven. a very small group yeah uh, it was seven of us like mr mark drew mr scott james shannon Tabay, and uh chelsea kaiser wow that was it then we went and got grilled cheese and left and our hands wedding certificate at a bar in Harlem and I'd go back and get it. You know, same old story. Every yeah, yeah. This is, <laughs> usual stuff. This, is, yeah. this is right out of the movies. Right. Totally typical. Um, all right. So you land this job with, with these guys, with these guys who are not, uh, not tiny guys in the business. No. And I mean, I didn't re- really have a good sense of what it is that I was getting into. Um, probably until we started training. Do you like, think you that's know, a good thing? I think it was a great thing for me personally. Um, you know, we were probably eliminated a lot of the nerves, a lot of the nerves. And, and it means, you know, you're very open to pretty much every bit of information that's coming your way, whether it's from them or the people that you're working next to, you know, all the other new hires. Um, I was just like consuming information at such a rapid rate at that point. And they were very well organized about how they trained. If I could go back in time, knowing everything that I know now about all of the sort of Goliaths in our industry and choose who I wanted to teach me how to make cocktails for the first time. It would I, be me. I, it would be you. Oh, right. You would be sure. number one. And then number two, <laughs> number two would be this exact situation that I found myself in. Uh, it was pretty perfect. Uh, yeah, I've heard about Joaquin's uh, training methodology, and yeah. it sounds pretty uh, pretty great. It sounds pretty intense, as well as uh, very informative and and. And not uh, not as sort of nerve wracking as say like Bobby down in, in in Texas with that that 100 cocktail list and the 50 blind tasting and all that stuff, right? Like, yeah, and, which is great as well. But like, man, that's intimidating. I would yes. be intimidated, you know. No slapping of hands if you do things wrong. Joaquin is uh, is is pretty down to earth when it comes to that. And uh, I even even today when I find myself now teaching other people how to make cocktails. Sometimes the, the words that come out of my mouth are verbatim, things that I've heard him say to other people. Right. Uh, so sorry, Joaquin, I, I crib. I crib from you quite a bit. No, that's good. That's, that's the point, right? That's a good, that's the sign of a good, uh, of a good, of a lesson well learned, right? Um, so I want to touch real quickly on, so, so you're at Port Rivers. How did you then get into my well? I, which by the way, just a couple of words on my well, like stalwart tequila mezcal bar in New York city, like really kind of put tequila and mezcal in its proper place, you know, not just a frozen margarita machine. Um, Phil Ward, you know, 
kind of spearheading all of that. And sadly, it it you know ran its course and, and has been gone now for two two thousand August two thousand seventeen. Yeah, so yeah. so two Almost years. Two years. And, yeah. Shout out to Mr. Justin Shapiro as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, actually, he's going to be on the show upcoming. Ah, Perfect. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, pouring ribbons just had enough shifts, you know, so only so many shifts to give, give each person. So I, I knew pretty quickly that I needed to find another job. And uh, this is going to make me sound like such a jerk, but I had never, I had never been to Maya well before. I was pretty jerk. broke while I was in school. You know, like I didn't have a good uh, finger on the pulse of what was going on in cocktails anyway. So I just I had never been there, and uh, probably a month into pouring ribbons, uh, Shannon Debay, who was also part of that opening staff at pouring, she knew that they were looking for someone to wait tables, and uh, gave gave my name to Phil, and and that and then that was it. Like it's just a total lucky stroke. So I waited tables there for about a year before a spot opened up behind the bar, uh, and then I I jumped back there as well. So you were on the bar at pouring. But at pouring, they do both, right? When, you're, when you work at they pouring, are. you're on the bar, you're on the door, you're on the floor, right? Uh, not on the door, oh, um, no? but, but you, you're, you're going back and forth between serving and, and bartending. They wanted very much to emphasize the idea that whomever is waiting on you, they should know the exact same amount of information, uh, which I really appreciate. It can, it can be tough sometimes because people definitely have their preferences, and I think they have their strengths too, but it's a very utopian approach. Uh, to I love that. I, I, I try and employ that at my places as well. Yeah. It's so interesting to see how uh, people sitting at tables assume that you won't know as much as the bartender. Yep. You know, that, that quick question, like, you just just let the bartender choose whatever they think is right for me based on these parameters. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't even tell them. You just go and you choose for them yeah. based on those parameters. And they're so happy with it. And they're like, thank the bartender. It'll be like, yeah, I will totally do that. You know, I kind of usurp that at my places by encouraging all of my staff to use speak that is like when they're at the table instead of at the bar. When they walk up to a table, they say, what can I make for you? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So I like that a lot. What can I make for you? Definitely. They don't say, what can I get started for you? Or what can the bartender make for you? They say, what can I make for you? Yeah. And then that sets in, into the guest's mind that, oh, this person is the bartender. Because every person at my place is the bartender. Yeah, I Maybe like Maybe not right much. this minute, but they always are. Yeah. Changes the dynamic. And then it's crazy. Even at Amore Margo, which is tiny, size of a, you know, you know pinhole, uh, you know, Blake will be on the floor and I'll be behind the bar and he'll say, what can I make for you? And then I'll make it. That person doesn't notice that I made it. They thank him for making it. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't, they don't pay attention. <laughs> yeah. They got their own uh, thing going on. That's exactly. Okay. So dumb luck basically found dumb you luck. at both pouring ribbons and my well, like, man, Yeah. did you buy some lottery tickets? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just worked my butt off for like the next several years. Yeah, you absolutely did. And, and, and you know, that's why you're sitting in this chair now. Um, but I mean like, wow, like, uh, what are you what are you showing me just say it speak you have a microphone it doesn't seem to be working uh well i think it'd be a disservice not to mention that land is also on that oh we're getting there of, uh, yeah we're gonna we're gonna oh, my we're, bad. I'm we're, gonna yeah ahead of us no that's, that's fine we're gonna move up the up the ladder too <laughs> what i really want to get to though is what you're doing now um which is of course you are working at landon now right uh not anymore oh okay um i i currently am on the spirits team for a distributor called skarnik wine and mm -hmm. spirits uh, based here in New York, and they also uh, distribute a, a smaller chunk of spirits in California as well. Um, but we're responsible for New York, New Jersey, uh, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. Uh, That's all you're extent. doing. Oh, I thought you were doing that, and you still pulled a few ships. That's all I'm doing. When I first, so I've been at, I've been at Skernick for um, almost two years now. It'll be two years in August. And when wow, I, time flies. I know. <laughs> when I started, I was uh, I started there. I was working at Mywell, and I was working at Landa, and I was working at Donna. Um, in in uh, Brooklyn as well, so I would uh, I would work my work day uh, in the office in Manhattan at Skernick, 
and then uh, in the weekday evenings, uh, I would go and cover a shift at MyOL. Uh, and then Saturdays, I would uh, do the open to close shift at Donna. And Sundays, I would do uh, the evening shift at Lyanda. And then I would kick back to Skernick uh, wow. the next morning. That did not last, as you can imagine. That's a heavy schedule. I, I know heavy schedules when I see them. Yeah. It was, we were at the point there when my well was uh, about to close. So I had really thought I would leave before I started the new job. And then, of course, when I found out we were only a couple of months away from uh, the last night, I, you know, I wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, and then I had really hoped to keep on working on the weekends for, I, in my insane brain, I thought I could do it for a year. Um, and instead, I, I, I stopped working at Lyanda about uh, maybe four months in. Yeah. Uh, and then I just recently left Donna um, two months ago. Wow. Okay. Maybe that's why I, and I, that's, I feel like I thought you were still working some bar shifts. Well, that's amazing. So, so that leads us up to where we're at today, uh, which is just full-time at Skernick, but also you do a bunch of design work. And I want to talk about that when we come back, but let's take a break real fast and hear from our sponsors. So stay tuned to the speakeasy. This episode is brought to you by you. As an independent member supported nonprofit, the amazing content you hear on HRN is made possible thanks to our generous community of members and partners. For 10 years, HRN has been a defining voice in America's food movement, and we never would have made it this far without you. Join us in celebrating an amazing decade of food radio and support our summer fun drive by becoming a member of HRN. You can choose from our member gifts and will receive exclusive discounts on HRN events. We truly believe that with your help, we can change the world and our food system one bite or sound bite at a time. But there's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. And we're back with the speakeasy uh, sitting in the studio today. Well, in my makeshift studio in my apartment in Brooklyn. Uh, Amanda Elder and Tony Makiev. No, still what you Makiev. I just want it to be Russian because you're Russian. Yeah, I've been Tony <laughs> since like fourth grade. Nobody could pronounce my name. My teachers were like Anton, Anton. I was like, well, let's go with Tony. Tony's good. Yeah, you you pulled the trigger and switched it. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're here. Either way. Thanks, man. Um, Amanda. Yes. So we were just talking about kind of what led to where we are today, which is you are at Skernick selling booze. Yeah. Do you like that? Um, you, made I, a little, <laughs> you gave me a little side eye right there. I, I do like it. Um, my job is, I, I have a really difficult time figuring out how to describe my job to people, which is kind of something I love, um, but also is problematic at times. They, it was a position that didn't uh, exist before I took it, so we've kind of been figuring it out as we go along. Um, I, I have taken it upon myself to be responsible for the majority of the content that we're putting out into the world. So that could be production information about brands that we're carrying. Um, I organize all of the seminars that we do, so a lot of our educational outreach, I'm kind of the point person for that. And then the bonuses that I also get to do, the graphic design for most of those things. Which is what well. I wanted to circle back to. Uh, so yeah. you are one of the sort of, I mean, I don't want to say few, but I feel like the numbers are dwindling on people who, who, who get to actually do in their job what they've learned in college. <laughs> right? So yes. you're getting to apply your graphics uh, graphic design uh, degree to your current position. Yes. 
Um, and you did that at Pouring Ribbons too, and I assume you probably had a hand in it at all the bars you've worked at, at least some influence. Pouring Ribbons was definitely the experience that made me feel like it was possible to do both, um, which had never even occurred to me before, really. Um, I, w I was just out of school. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with this degree that I will be paying for for the rest of my adult life. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> That the both of you will be paying for. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that it was important uh, to figure it out. Uh, the first time that we flipped the menu, which was about three months in, they were doing seasonal menu flips at that point. We, all the, all the drinks had been settled. We, we were in the staff training where we were tasting everything, writing out our notes. And uh, one, of the, one of the partners just sort of mentioned as an aside that after they, we were done that day with the tasting, they were gonna go home and figure out how to flip the information on the actual menu in InDesign. And uh, I piped up, you know, just like a little raised hand, and I said, do you need help with that? And he asked, do you know how to use InDesign? And I don't even know what that is. Is that a program? It, this is a program. It's a program that um, a lot of multi-page documents are, are put in and, and, and type placed in and designed in. And, uh, and a big part of, as a graphic designer, what you are educated on. Um, so this was like one of my few, few skills that was actually like in this point that I could use and truly be helpful with. So um, they sort of handed over a big chunk of the menu just for me to, it was essentially data entry, right? Like you're going through, you're taking off spirits that we're not gonna carry anymore, putting in ones that you are. Um, but then they really very quickly realized I knew how to use these programs better than any of the partners did. And, uh, and, and that was it. Every menu flip that we did um, from that point on, I, I took care of. And those menus house. were pretty uh, extensive and, and like immersive, right? There were yeah. themed menus yes. that you that the the team even did, you know did some at least slight redesign of the space each time, right? It was a really exciting thing to do. Joaquin, you know, he had come from several years at Death and Company as well, um, and he was just kind of tired of doing seasonal menu changes because he was finding it harder and harder to find new points of inspiration for the drinks that he was creating. So he really wanted to try and do these thematic menus. Uh, so he came to us, uh, you know, as a as a staff and said. The, you know, here's a short list of ideas I thought might be nice to use for this. And this was about two years into uh, the, the bar being opened. So the, the, the menus had, were pretty established and the design of the menus were pretty established and they had like a nice um, brand equity kind of already in place, which was kind of the ideal time to kind of make changes because they had put their voice out there and people kind of knew what to expect. Um, so we, we looked at this list of stuff and Route 66 was one of the things that he had on the list as a type of inspiration and we all agreed that that would be a great place to start because it's, you know, at least as a concept, even if you don't know a lot about Route 66 in the United States, it evokes some type of imagery, a uh, sense of nostalgia. Sure, Americana. Yeah, exactly. So we thought, you know, if we're going to change up the menu, let's start with something that's, you know, pretty comfortable for people to dip their toes in and we can get weirder as we go forward. And up until that point, I'd been changing these menus uh, from a design standpoint and being very true to the original branding. You know, I was a, I was a, a curator, and, but also um, really just like taking care of what had been done by uh, an amazing design firm called Warren Red that had done the initial branding and really just trying not to fuck it up at that point. You know, these were, these were, can I say that? <laughs> yes, of course. You can say what you want. These were designers Fuck that it. had been Fuck doing, they'd been doing this job forever. You know, they easily could have been teachers of mine, you know, at Parsons. So I was just trying to really keep uh, keep true to what they had set in place. And this was the first chance with these thematic menus that they gave me room to really switch stuff up. Um, and so 
the, the format of the menu changed, stayed the same, but within the pages, we made aggressive changes, and they really let me decide what it was gonna look like, both uh, on the menus and how we were gonna change things slightly from an interior design standpoint as well. Um, so we did a few after that. Uh, each one was super fun, you know, like, I look back at it now, and uh, the, that was such an amazing opportunity, because I was also creating drinks that were going on the menu as well, designing the menu and then going into to service shifts and seeing how people responded to it and getting very honest feedback because no one knew of that course, I was right. the one that had done it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you have a couple at the bar saying that they don't get what something looks like on a menu or skipping over something that you spent hours trying to make perfect thinking, isn't everyone going to think this is the most clever, uh, you know, and then like the, you, no one gives it a second shot and you're just kind of taking notes the whole time being like, okay, all right, I get it. Like this is the stuff that works. This is the stuff that doesn't. These are the things that people look for when they first open a menu. These are the things that are always going to be kind of stuff you do for fun but can't be the primary pieces of information. It was an amazing internship just on how menus work in a space. That's great. Uh, and you did several of those, right? There was Route 66 and then... Uh, we did uh, We did Silk Road after Silk that. Road, yeah, that was the cool one too. Um, each year, uh, and this is something they do you know, now, now that I'm not there, this is uh, from what I understand how Joaquin still frames this. They, they change the menu twice a year, and uh, the, the two themes are supposed to correlate with each other in some way, sort of like two sides of the same coin. Oh. So Route 66 was the first one we did in Silk Road, you know, kind of the same sense of travel, but now we were reaching out of the United States and thinking about more exotic flavors and more exotic locales, um, and still really trying to figure out how to make it seem appropriate without making it seem like it was appropriative <laughs> like right, of all sure. these cultures that we were talking about because you know I'm still I'm still a chick from Michigan you know I haven't been to a lot of these places I was learning about a lot of these flavor combinations that we were using for the first time and from a design standpoint I definitely didn't want to look like I knew what I was talking about from an inherent standpoint right so I just dove really deep into um, pattern design like classic architectural pattern design from all these countries that we were reaching for for inspiration. You know, it's really beautifully established stuff that I learned about as an art history, you know, student in college as well, um, and, and based everything off of that. Amazing. And now what's even cooler is that you still get to do this stuff, you know, with Skernik. You're still doing a lot of, as you said, you're kind of designing all of their literature, et cetera, that goes out to to both your sales team, I assume, and the public, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely keeping in line what, what I was trying to do at Pouring Ribbons, where my design was always influenced by my personal experience working in that space. So now at Skernik, you know, if we're talking about doing a seminar, I say to myself, if I was going to be an attendee at the seminar, and I have been an attendee at, you know, plenty of seminars... What, what is it? What, what are the questions that I would want answered? What are the things that I would think are the most interesting things to hear about from someone? And we sort of work back from there. You know, what are the most useful handout materials? What are people likely to even take with them or not? Uh, so everything that I that I design um, is is meant to be an educational resource, very much based on my experience as someone that has sat in that classroom style, you know, multiple times. I mean, I feel like this is you're so. I don't want to say lucky. I, I try and never say the word lucky because I, you know, I always say uh, the harder I work, the luckier I get, right? Because it's, it's not about luck; it's about the hard work. Sure. Well, right. Maybe it's a little bit of both. 
Yeah. Not for you, obviously. But. Oh, come on. <laughs> for me, for you, for all of us. It's, it's all about the workload. So you're putting in the work, um, but you're, you're, you've, you've positioned yourself in such a way that you get to use, uh, you know, again, I think it's a, a unique thing in today's world, especially in our field, where you get to, 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 you know, use what you went to school for to keep propelling yourself forward. And I think it's a testament to, like, the field in general. Like, at first glance, bartending is just this one, you know, one-sided coin that, that you know, uh, you know, it's pretty singular motion. But then when you step back from it and you see that there's, you know, brand work and, and, and you can create a product and distill and you can do writing like I'm doing now as well or podcasting or whatever, you know, like it's, it becomes, you know, it goes from a single-sided, si- single one-dimensional thing to this multi-sided die that you can, you know, pick up and throw at will, right? Yeah, and it seems... In, in retrospect, much more intuitive than it ever did when I, perhaps I was pub bartending, um, because people that are in in this industry, and especially I think in in a cocktail specific type of industry, um, are probably in it because they're already inherently quite creative people. Agreed. Um, either either they're doing this particular job because the schedule is flexible enough for them to pursue what the other thing is that they're doing or other things are that they're doing. You know, maybe they're, you know, an actor, you know, or an artist of some kind or a dancer, you know, and they're, they're trying to cobble together, you know, that kind of classic New York schedule of doing all those things. Or um, they end up staying in this industry because that sense of making that comes with the, the creative aspect of cocktails, uh, it, it appeals to, you know, their inherent talents anyway. I... I'm constantly meeting people that are cocktail bartenders that are also amazing painters, you know, or they're, they're creating music, um, or they're, uh, you know, they're studying lighting design, you know, it could be any number of things. Yeah. So the more that we can put those things together, I think it, it, it makes a lot more sense just from a sustainability standpoint, uh, in staying in this industry, as long as you're being engaged on multiple levels of creativity, then you're going to be probably happy with what you're doing. Yeah, I totally agree. So you're at this place, you're working with Skernik, you're, you know, creating all of their materials uh, and, and also doing what, what probably the primary focus of the job is, which I assume is getting it's, booze it's into it's people's hands in some way. Yeah, Yeah, our office is uh, a beautiful spot in Manhattan that has a fully built out bar within the space. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing tastings for accounts that want to come in and, and taste through things as well and um, a little bit of cocktail uh, consulting also. Uh, so it's great because uh, I, you know, I still that, approach that it The bar is just trade facing though, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, I just pretend like I'm still just bartending in general. People come in and we have a conversation. And we're either talking about drinks. And you do, do you stand up from your desk or whatever and go get jump behind the bar? Yes, my desk <laughs> is actually, I have a desk, which to me is kind of like the novelty part of it, that I, that I, have, a com- I have two computers at my desk and an actual desk with an ergonomic chair. These are fancy office things. Like This is like going to the business factory, which I kind of love, but it's also two, literally two feet away from the bar. Uh, so, like, if I turn to my left, I can see the whole bar. I Like, I manage the inventory that stays there. I go and, and, and do many of these tastings, Man. and I work out cocktails. If I'm sitting at my desk trying to figure out what I think the best spec is, you know, for a particular daiquiri with rums that we've just taken on, I get up, I go over to the bar, I make the daiquiris. I go back to my boss, Adam Schumann, who is an excellent drink maker in his own right. We talk about what we like and what we don't. We settle on a spec. And that goes into, you know, a, a recipe page in our next price guide or something like that. Wow. That's awesome. It's pretty fun, like, actually. I, but, I, like, I feel like, for me, the temptation would be so great <laughs> if I was sitting at my, my quote-unquote, desk and I was two feet away from just all the things. Well, you know, 
how when you're bartending a shift and someone wants to do a shot with you, so you do a shot, maybe you have one or two too many shots, but you kind of work through it because you're you're up on your feet, you're moving a lot, you're too busy if you're doing it right to like do anything too crazy. Uh, sitting at a desk is very different. I've gone over to that, uh, I've gone to that job certainly hungover from a night of drinking out uh, before and uh and just been useless for the like the whole day. Like you're you're tired. You're sitting <laughs> head in down one on the place. desk, drool everywhere. You're trying to focus <laughs> on a computer screen, and it's just not happening. You're not stringing together sentences that you're trying to write. Like emailing people is tough. It's just like it doesn't work. So you learn really quickly that like it, you just can't do it the right. same way. You kind of have to be on 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 your game. So let's talk about. We've talked about your past. We've talked about your present. Let's talk about your future. What's what what what's next for Amanda Elder? What where do you go from here? Uh, and you've been you've you've logged you said about two uh, two years now at Skernick. Uh, yeah, it'll be two years in the fall. So you're two years in. I'm not saying it's time to go, but I'm saying what's what's on the horizon. No, it's definitely been. I'm certainly in a spot now where I'm trying to figure out the balance of things that I'm doing for this job that I do enjoy, and I'm excited to see how it keeps on evolving. But I also still freelance on the side. So I think a lot of my time right now is trying to figure out how to balance those two things properly uh, and give the creative energy to both that they deserve. Um, and what kind of jobs I really want to take on the side. If, if, you know, if I'm going to be spending my weekends and my weeknights working on design projects that aren't for my full-time job and, and know that I'm engaged in them enough to be doing them well, then I have to decide what I can say yes to and what I can say no to. One of my biggest problems. Saying no is really hard it's super super hard it's nearly impossible for me um especially i think in our industry where we're still kind of figuring out what it is people will even want us to do and there's this beautiful novelty that comes with being asked to help in someone's project you know you want to be able to help like you want to do it you want to do all the stuff and there's a fear and this is something i think that happens with free freelancers in any uh any uh, design field you, you're afraid that if you say no to one thing, no one's going to ask you to do anything else. So you're constantly... That's not just in design, lady. <laughs> yeah. That's in everything. So you're constantly on this like, like knife's edge trying to figure out how much you can take on and like do a good job and not just screw it all up, but you know still be moving forward and, and getting the opportunities that you want to be able to take. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Jim, Jim Meehan told me a decade ago, I said to him, I get a lot of press inquiries like... It, and they're always last minute and always, you know, like, da da da, you know, right away, right away. And he said, I said, when can I start saying no to these? And he says, you can't. Yeah. He says, there's a hundred people behind you and they've come to you. And as soon as you start saying no, they'll go to the next guy behind you. And then you're just out of loop. So I've, I've, for a decade, I've simply never said no. Uh, it shows because <laughs> you're <laughs> pretty prolific with the things that you're doing. Well, thanks. Um, uh, but that's not, you know, but but even that, you know, I, I recently learned a, a phrase that I'd never heard before. I think it's a common phrase because I've said it to other people and they're like, oh, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, it, I just mentioned Jim told me that about a decade ago. It, it takes a decade to be an overnight success. Yeah, that sounds about right. So that's sounds where I feel like right. I'm at right now. Like I'm at that point. Um, what's it like uh, being married to this guy and you're working for Skernick and he's working for Empire? The Independent Spirits Division at Empire Merchants. <laughs> um, it's 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 definitely an interesting balance. It always has been. You know, before he took this job at Empire, before I was at Skernick, we know so many of the same people. 
in this industry, so your private life really becomes your professional life, mm-hmm. and uh, there's really no line in between the two a lot of the time. So you're just kind of making up as you go along, you know, what what feels right and what doesn't. Uh, now, like we do, we can have these very specific conversations. You know, we kind of come back to HQ, which is our apartment, at the end of the night, and uh, and I say like you guys are carrying this, that's awesome, we've got this, and it's better, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And we talk about, like, where those placements are going and, like, how we're educating people about these brands on either side of this division. Um, And there's certainly some smack talk that happens, too, uh, about who's carrying what. You know, it's it's hard not to be competitive. I have to assume that there's got to be some advantage to that, too, though. Definitely. Like if one of you gets a placement for a category. No? No, he's shaking his head. It's a, it's, a, it's a fucking radio, dude. You got to say something. <laughs> <laughs> no one can see you shaking your head. <laughs> no, that doesn't help. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think about the right thing to say that won't uh, violate any <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, no, I I mean I certainly am always thinking about. Well, I mean for me working for a distributor, it's always better to know more about what other distributors are doing. You sure. know, you're not just like locked in to your own little world you have a better sense of w- what the competitive market is like. Sure. Uh, so now I, I don't even have to like make an effort to learn that. Just uh, like I can look at the bottles that are surrounding our apartment right now, yeah. like littering the floor and the, every available tabletop space. And I know, you know, at least what Empire is up to and what they've got um, yeah. that, that is competitive against what we've got. And for me, in my particular job, that means I'm thinking, how do I educate about this? Like, what is it that we need to say? Not from like a a placement standpoint even because there are other people on my team that are much better at that part than I am but like if we're educating in a way that is elevating the conversation what do I say about our stuff knowing that they've got this stuff sure yeah points and counterpoints yeah Mm -hmm. Um, and you enjoy it I can tell you enjoy it because you you get excited you look you're you kind of beam when you talk about your work it's a it's a problem-solving thing you know like it, it keeps you engaged because you're just constantly looking at data that's being put in front of you and figuring out how, how do I give this to people in the best possible way. And some, some of it works and some of it doesn't, but the stuff that doesn't work means you go back and you get better at it. And when we finish a seminar at Skernick and people come and they say that was awesome, like I learned so much. Uh, or, you know, like I, I, I give a talk about design or something and people are like, I never thought about it that way until you phrased it. You know, every time that happens, it's just like, it's super exciting because then you're sharing your personal experiences with other people uh, that, you know, and, w- and we're all kind of like dealing with the same stuff in this industry all the time, but having a platform to share that information isn't necessarily as common as it should be. So um, I definitely get excited figuring out new ways to do that. Yeah. What are, I think you mentioned to me once before uh, you were thinking about maybe doing a book. Is that still uh, in your mind? Because I got to tell you, my book rattled around in my mind for nine years. <laughs> it's verifiable I've mentioned it on the show before I went back in my own emails and I found a an interview that I had done nine years prior well I guess I guess ten now because the book's been up for about a year ten years ago an interview where the last question in the interview was what's next for you and I said I think I'm, I'm gonna write a book called I'm just here for a drink yeah nine years <laughs> ago it makes me so feel it takes a, a while it's got to incubate yeah. <laughs> yes it's definitely in that uh, in that form right now when you when you buy design books specifically of which there are a ton out there a lot of them are sort of curated collections of what's going on in in design at any particular point in time. You know, you pick a you pick a theme or you pick a, a decade or something, and then um, as a as a designer, you purchase these these uh, 
sort of encyclopedias, visual encyclopedias that sort of show you what's going on and they become references that you use again and again. I, I think it's really interesting uh, and it's been super fun over the last five, six, seven years, especially even in the last three years to see how menu design has become mm -hmm. uh, a really active part of the of the brand equity of, of cocktail bars. For sure. People purchase them you know when they go to visit people take them when they go to visit these are these are keepsakes that help people remember you know the experiences that they had at these bars I, I think it would be really amazing to have uh, a curated collection of kind of like the most interesting designs that have been out there for people that can't always go to these bars and, and take something with them yeah I, I know for me as a menu designer I would love to have a resource like that so I could flip through and see you know what dead rabbit did last year you know, or, or something beautiful that's happening on the West Coast, you know, where I rarely ever get Trick to go. Trick dog. And yeah, and, and, and to, to not only have that, but a conversation that's not just from the the um, the bar's point of view, like the who, whoever is running the program, but from the designer's point of view, because I know personally that that's an active conversation that happens between the two people. But everything I feel like I'm reading right now, when a new design comes out that's sort of getting press, is uh, all about the conceptual side from whoever whomever is running the program. And, and they never really quote the people that designed it as well. Mm. And I think that conversation is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and the more, the more people understood about that, I think it would help people that are opening their own spaces and trying to figure out what they're capable of doing right. um, as well. Crazy. So, uh, I don't know, incubating, yes. What, Tony's trying to tell you something <laughs> without talking on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a, my manager over it's here is, not is my, prompting not my show. I'm just here, I'm here for the drinks. I'm just here for the drinks. I trademarked that and I owe me five dollars. <laughs> Where's the jar? Um, I wanted to ask you as a final question: what um, What's the thing you? Uh, it's two two parts. What's the thing you miss the most about bartending, and what's the thing you miss the least? Mm, excellent. Um, so so it's been about two, two three months now since I gave up regular service shifts. Um, things I miss about bartending: I've definitely gained weight. From really? just like not being on my feet all the time. Wow. It's a thing. It's a real thing. I sit around on Saturdays now and I eat cheese and I watch Netflix. That's very different than working a 12-hour shift where you're running around like crazy. I'm not saying that it's less like I, one is healthier than the other by all means. Like I never really got <laughs> got to a point where I was having super healthy, good for you shifts behind the bar. Right. But um man it's it's surprising to see how much of a difference being active like can do like even just one day a week it really makes a difference yeah um i also i also worry that people and i'm like i'm talking about this from my personal experience but i've seen this happen with other people that have gone on to do brand work or whatever as well i worry that people will forget that i know my way around a fucking drink and that's really, really important for me like just to maintain the moment you step out from behind the bar you know, one of the common questions people ask is like, do you miss being a bartender? And I'm like, I, I have been bartending since I was 21 years old. That's like almost 20 years now for me. I, I will never not be a bartender. Like maybe when, I, when I've had this job where I have a desk like 20 years from now, if you want to ask me if I miss being a bartender, I might be able to answer that question like for face value. But right now that's not a thing. Like these aren't, these aren't ways of looking at the world and looking at the industry that you forget the second right. that you're not behind that bar. That having been said, I do not miss financial transactions with people uh, during a regular shift. Like, it's great to just have people come to the Skernick Bar, talk to them about drinks, and then you send them on their way. And, like, there's no, there's no bill that has to be put in front of them. 
uh, you know, you're not worrying that you've overserved them and like how to make sure you're still getting a good tip out of the deal if you have to cut them off and they're pissed at you. Uh, all of that is just gone from my life. And like, man, what a beautiful thing to not have to deal with on a daily basis. That's kind of nice. Because it's really just more about like straight up the relationship that you have with that person in the moment without this looming financial thing. That yes, is the unpleasant matter of the bill. Yes, the unpleasant matter of the bill. Um, so I don't miss that. Uh, and uh, the long shifts, you know, like, I mean, my back feels better. Yeah. Days. I could do without the long shifts. <laughs> yes. I wish yes. we could bartend. I wish I could do what I do from like noon to 10 <laughs> instead of <laughs> five to four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that would be better hours for me. Oh, that would be perfect. It just doesn't exist. You know, yeah. I, and I think all of us that bartend, like that's when our brains are the most active anyway. Like that's when we're ready to kind of like get into it with whatever thing we're dealing with at that moment. Oh man, if we could do noon to 10 in life in general, I would be so happy. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a 10 hour shift if it was noon to 10. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be fine. Amanda, what a delight having you on. Um, where can people get in touch with you or find out more about you or what you do in both your graphic design or in uh, your work at Skernick? How can, how can, how can you be reached or, or do you want to be? You can say, fuck them. I, I love being reached. Um, I have a website. It's uh, for my personal design, a little bit out of date. It's one of my you know, goals for this year is to kind of update it with what I've been doing over the last year. That's uh, amandaelderdesign.com. Mm -hmm. There's a link uh, to reach me via email that way as well. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, a lot of my current work I end up putting up on Instagram, uh, just snapshots of, of you know, evites that I'm doing for Skernick that I think are exciting. I've been doing a lot of um, pattern design as well that's inspired by our industry and cocktails, which I hope to start doing more of as kind of a side side hustle i'd like to make some merch as the kids say it yeah so I'm, I'm kind of working that out right now as well um and more of that will be up on instagram um, in the next couple of months and what's your handle it is am sue elder a-m-s-u-e-l-d-e-r am sue elder amanda yes. sue yes and just midwest from the ground up you, you know it <laughs> <laughs> uh really great having you on tony great having you hang out as well and uh, drink all the mezcal and beer in my house it's delicious <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're always welcome. In fact, um, we should probably schedule having you on and talk about everything you've done in this business in New York City. Oh, if you want to hear some stories about the East Village, this is the this mm. is the man to ask. All right, yeah. I mean, we yeah, you know, I'll we, bring a homie. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love to have you on. Uh, you know, maybe maybe back in the studio with Damon, and uh, and we can really we get into it. Okay, we can only do it if Damon's there. All right, deal. All right. Damon, you listening? He's never listening. He's never listening. He never listens to the, the show. Right now. Uh, yeah, I think he's back in country, but I don't know where he's at. Uh, anyway, thanks for tuning into the Speakeasy. Uh, thanks so much again for being here with us, Amanda and thanks Tony. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Bye. Thanks, Tony. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.